a lot of times we welcome people with special needs in the church, but we don't include them in decision making. And I think that's where we need to move in the next phase is equipping people with disabilities and autism to be leaders in the church and also at the table of decision making. And until people with disabilities and autism feel like they're included in the decision making, it's going to hinder them in their faith walk and being able to do what God's called them to do. Tony Hernandez Pumarejo, writer and author, professional and motivational speaker, TV presenter, life coach, an international ambassador for autism and mental health. He's proud to invite you to his podcast, My Time, with Tony Hernandez Pumarejo. to this new episode of My Time with Tony Hernandez Pumorejo. And this is your host, Tony Hernandez Pumorejo. I'm truly honored and privileged for you to tune in, either watching or listening to my podcast. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to my podcast through all the platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, and many other platforms. It's a bilingual podcast, both English and Spanish, and maybe another language is coming in very soon, which I'm working on, which I'll talk about that later. So today I have a very, uh, I have a, a, a great guest, a advocate, a leader for, uh, you know, for our autism community. And I want to share his story here today in, in this episode of my time. I had the privilege of interviewing, his name is Ron Sanderson. Um, you know, Ron Sanderson works full time in the medical field, and he's a professor of theology at Destiny School of Ministry. Uh, Ron is a, an advisory board member of the Art of Autism and the L Center of Excellence. Sanderson has a Master of Divinity from Oral R Roberts University, and it is the author of A Parent's Guide to Autism Practical Advice. Biblical Wisdom, published by Charisma House and Views from the Spectrum. He has memorized over 15,000 scriptures, including 22 complete books of the New Testament. And Sanderson has, has spoken over at 70 events a year, including 20-plus educational conferences. I, and before I started this interview, I already told Ron, hey, you need to give me some tips about getting those conferences. And last but not least, Ron and his wife, uh, Kristen, reside in Rochester Hills, Michigan, with their daughter, Michaela. So it is an honor and privilege to have you here today in my time, Ron Sanderson. Ron, thank you so much for, for coming in to be in my podcast. I truly appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast today. My pleasure. And, you know, I was looking at your story and you have done a lot, you know, for autism, for neurodiversity, and, and your story is very inspirational. You have done a lot of work through different fields, and it's my honor to have you here. So, Ron, uh, this is a question that I ask every, everybody who comes in to my podcast, and I was going to, I'm going to ask you this question. How would you define the life of Ron Sanderson in just a few words? So I define my life with autism as an amazing adventure and unexpected blessings along the way. 
autism affects me differently than it affects other people. I had severe difficulty learning to be able to speak. My development was so delayed with speech that my brother Chuck would introduce me to people saying, you need to meet my brother Ron. I think he's from Norway. No one could understand why I say, and he became an expert on Norwegian languages. And I think too, with autism with me, it has these unusual special interests, like having my prairie dog, who I carried around from age seven all the way to age 16. But yet there's challenges. There's amazing gifts with memory, amazing gifts. I was one of the fastest runners in the state of Michigan, the 800 meter run. And um, when we refine autism, becomes something great. Definitely. So, you know, you're talking about your story a little bit, you know, Ron, um, when, when did you knew, when did you knew that there was something different about you? When did that happen? When did that happen? So I knew there was something different about me very early on. When I was diagnosed with autism in 1982 at age seven, what ended up happening after that is when I was in elementary school, every two years, I was sent to a different elementary school. So I ended up going from first grade to fifth grade to three different elementary schools. And that made me know something was different because the friends I made in third grade at Long Meadow, now I had to make all new friends at university elementary school in fourth and fifth grade. And early on, I was in um, programs for special education even before elementary school, early childhood development. And that's how I knew something was different is I knew my brother Steve and Chuck, they went to one school for a long period of time. Then when they got done with elementary school, they went to middle school and they stayed at the same middle school. Then they went to high school. But for me, with middle, elementary school, it was three different elementary schools. With middle schools, it was two different middle schools I ended up attending. That's, that's impressive. I mean, in terms of, of how was your development? You know, you were diagnosed autism, you know, you know, at age seven, but you were diagnosed with autism in the early eighties. Yeah. And, and that's a complete, and that was a completely different world to why it is today, especially in regards to autism, the rate for autism back then must have been like, what, one in every 10,000, one every- One in 10,000. One in 10,000. Now 000. it's one in every 34 children are diagnosed with autism. So- prevalence has gone way up. And when I was diagnosed with autism, you didn't have Temple Grandin. You didn't have any resources. You only had the theory of the refrigerator mom, a mom who is disconnected from her children that caused autism. And the teacher said, we'll teach Ron visually 50% of the time and phonetically 50% of the time. My mom said they don't want to get 50% education because I can't learn anything phonetically. I'm one of the types of autism where I'm the greatest visual learner you ever met, but when it comes to phonetically, I can't learn anything. And during that time period, they didn't know that about autism. And when I had to take Spanish in high school, I got a D in the class. And the only reason I didn't get an E is a teacher was being merciful to me. And that's a spoken language. It's a learn language you learn phonetically. But when I took Koine Greek, which is a dead language, and it's the language of the Bible. I ended up getting a 4.0, and I've been now teaching Greek for over 20 years. In fact, I'm 
teaching Greek this semester. And the difference between Spanish and Greek is if I go to Spain, they're speaking Spanish. If I go to Greek, they're not, or Greece, they're not speaking Koine Greek, they're speaking modern Greek. And Koine Greek being a dead language, we don't know how it sounded. So we have to learn it visually with cards, with the vocabulary on it, with the rules on it. And learning a language visually that's dead makes me an expert on that language. In fact, I've translated two-thirds of the New Testament from Greek into English. I say this, you can't speak Koine Greek, but you can translate it. And a translating language where you learn visually works perfectly with the type of autism that I have as a visual learner. And, and that's impressive. I mean, uh, you know, how do you have learned those skills from an you know, early age, you know, as you were growing up as a child and later as an adult to apply those skills to do, you know, to the work that you do, especially in faith-based work, which I'm going to talk, I'm going to ask you about this in just a little bit. And, and it's, a, it's a, that's amazing in terms of how you work in dealing and working, learning about this language, languages, learn the differences, how to translate, how to apply to the different uh, works that you have done and how it's helped you not only career-wise, but also in your life as an autistic uh, person. I personally, um, I'm bilingual, so I'm both English and Spanish. And I mentioned early in, in this, in the intro of, of my podcast, that I'm working on learning a third language, which is Portuguese, the Brazilian Portuguese, because I had to say the Brazilian Portuguese, because you know that obviously, you know, you have the original Portu Portuguese from Portugal and there's, yeah. some, there's some key uh, differences, which I'm, I mean, I've been trying to learn, but, and it's been a very impressive, you know, process and I'm still uh, working on that. Uh, so it's very missing what, you know, the, you know, what you have shared so far, Ron, and tell me a little bit more about, you know, as you were growing up, you know, your hobbies, do you have any difficulty making friends? How was that experience? So I had a lot of difficulty making friends. And what my mom did to teach me social skills, she used Prairie Pup. Most people had He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe. They had Transformers, more than meets the eyes, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in a Half Shell, and then there was me with Prairie Pup. And the way she used him, the Prairie Pup, to help me learn social skills is one girl made him a jacket, one made him a sweater, one made him a cowboy outfit, one even made him a space outfit. And by interacting using Prairie Pup, my special interest, I was able to learn the different social clues and how to interact, how to play games and take turns with interacting. And that really helped me. Exodus 4.17 says, take the staff in your hand and you'll perform miraculous signs with it. So my mom took the things I was interested in and use those to get into my world so I could get out into her world and learn those skills and be able to be able to be gainfully employed, also to be able to make friends and later on get married in life and write nationally published books. And I'm celebrating in March 16 years working in the medical field. And then this January, beginning 15th, in a few days, I'll be celebrating. 20 years of teaching at Destiny Ministry School. So I'm just coming into 20 years on that. So I've seen a lot of um, miracles and also a lot of um, 
tests and trials along the way to get to where I am today. That's amazing. It's truly amazing, you know, all the all the all the goals that you have accomplished in your life, uh, overcoming the struggles and the challenges. You know, being an autistic person, dealing with a world that a lot of times doesn't understand, and even doing so in an era when there was no social media, there was not much talk about autism. You had to overcome different stigmas because it was more focused on the disability, 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 and to overcome all of that. Uh, and obviously you talk about the importance of your parents and, but more important of all is the area of faith and which, yeah. you know, faith. And, and that's something that I, you know, I'm as well, I'm a per person that believes that faith is the most important thing that God is the center of our lives. And, you know, I'm a Christian, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, I, you know, look, you know, Jesus, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, is my Lord and savior. And, I do his will, trying to pray every day, read the, you know, read the Bible and just to do his will. And, and we, I mean, I'm going to ask you a little bit about faith, but before we do that, um, yeah. you mentioned your parents, um, how important were your parents in, in you growing up and developing yourself, you know, you know, when you, you know, growing up as a child and becoming, you know, an adult, um, you know, not only an adult, but working full-time, uh, career-driven, also a family man, you know, uh, you know, as, as a husband, as a dad. How important were your parents in your life? They were very important. My mom had the mentality, advocate, 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 and then your kid will become an advocate. And she worked with me, got every resource whenever I needed tutoring. She found... Um, financial support to get me the tutoring. She worked with me every day, reading, learning how to use art to be able to communicate and to be able to learn to read. And my dad, he took a different approach. He had a Protestant mindset. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Second Thessalonians 3.10. So he had me working from a young age. I, he believed in manual labor. When I was 12 years old, I was cutting our lawn that was an acre lawn that taught me to adjust to sensory issues. I had a loud lawnmower. It was heavy that I had to push uphill, downhill, and there were trees I had to get around and um, obstacles. And by having a job early on, it helped me be prepared for work later on. When I was 14 years old, he had me working in God's waiting room. It was a restaurant named Bill Knapps. And the reason it was called God's waiting room as the average person who went to the restaurant was 75 to 85 years old, the restaurant looked like a funeral home. It had big white pillars, and I worked as a busser there, bussing tables at age 14. And by working at a young age, I learned how to manage my money, save money. I learned how to deal with rate customers, which later on, working in the site field, you sometimes have to deal with. And I also learned how to make friends with coworkers. And Temple Grandin says this all the time, is the most important thing you can do with a kid with autism is get them out there, get them involved, and get them working so they learn skills. So when they're adults, they'll also be working. And that's kind of the approach my parents had with me. If one thing failed, they tried something else. I got kicked out of Boy Scouts because a clown took my hat on it, put it on their kid's Head and I end up beating up the clown in front of 200 people during a Halloween event. So when I got kicked out of 
Boy Scouts, they got me in Indian guides. And from Indian guides, I got in karate. And from karate, I got into running track and cross country, which turned into a scholarship, which turned into an opportunity to run in college. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, and, 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 it's, and, and, it's, and it's right and spot on because Dr. Temple Grandin mentioned the importance, in other words, of getting, you know, for parents, of getting their kids outside of their comfort zone. To be, because you know this, I know this, the reality is the parents are not going to be there for the rest of their lives. That's the way of life. And yep. that's one of the challenges that we face in our community is what's going to happen as, they, as these kids, autistic kids, grow into autistic adults, and if they don't have the necessary support, how they're going to survive in this, you know, in this very difficult world? Because that's a reality. It's a difficult world out there. And sure, I don't know what you think about this, because sure, we talk about awareness, we talk about acceptance, but the reality is that, that I think it's more effective in terms of getting autistic people uh, prepared, uh, no matter what level on the, on the spectrum, to be able to survive and thrive in this world, regardless of the level. I know there's different, you know, it's not, it's not the same for everybody. Some people may say, oh, a, a more severe person will never be able to be independent. Maybe not completely 100% independent, but that doesn't mean that they're incapable of achieving a great life. And that's what we need to focus on very strongly. What do you think? I definitely agree. In fact, this week, I'm editing my fourth book, and my fourth book is what you talked about. It's called Autism Growth and Transitioning into Adulthood. Everything a young, ch a young adult needs to know to be able to thrive on the spectrum. And a lot of people are just trying to survive on the spectrum, but I think that with the gifts that we have, that we can actually thrive with autism. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, we have these gifts in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power comes not from us, but from God. And God's given people with autism unique gifts, unique abilities. And I've interviewed hundreds of young adults with unique abilities like Tarko, pro baseball player, or Rachel Barcelona, who's Miss Florida, going to compete for Miss, um, or Miss America. And then people like Armani Williams, who's Michigan, and he's a NASCAR driver. I got to spend time with him, go over to his house. And these unique gifts also um, had someone who was able to market those gifts and who believed in those people on the spectrum and helped them develop it. And that's what my book, Autism, Growth, and Transitioning Adulthood, shares is how do you develop those gifts? How do you be prepared to go to college or prepared to get a career? How do you, um, even something simple like going to see the doctor, how do you live healthy on the spectrum? And what questions do you ask when you see a doctor? Because a lot of times people with autism, they don't know how to take care of their own health because they always had the, their parent take them to the doctor and they don't understand the process. So this book, I break those down. I have fun activities so they can be done in a group setting. And they also give further resources and people with autism, a lot of them like to study and research things. And I give them three books at the end of each chapter on that chapter so they can dig in deeper to those topics covered in the book. Definitely. And 
now we're going to the line of, you know, of faith, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, Ron, as you were growing up, how important was your faith as you were growing up? How faith this... was very, yeah, uh, faith was very important to me. In fact, I would have never been able to go to college if it wasn't for an event God had in my life. In 1994, my life was on the right track. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I made him Lord and Savior over my whole life. And God blessed everything that I did once I gave him control of my life. Psalms 84, 11 through 12 says, Lord God is sun shield. Lord bestows favor and honor. And no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, bless the man who trusts in you. When I trust my life to God, he blessed my relay team. My 3,200 relay team made it to the state finals my junior year. And on the way back from the state finals, after finishing 12th in the state of Michigan, for the 3,200 relay, our anchor, Nate Clay, said, next year we'll be the fastest relay team in the state of Michigan, but we won't have Ron on our relay team because it'll be past the age limit to compete in high school athletics in the state of Michigan. You see, I was held back in kindergarten, making me turn 19 my senior year. And right then, God spoke to my heart and he said, I'll provide a way for you to run on the track team. And I said, I'm going to run on the track team next year. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's going to provide a way. And the coach laughed and said, in the last 20 years, no one in the state of Michigan has been able to compete past the age limit. My mom called all the lawyers. They said the same thing. It'd be $40,000 for an ADA case, Americans with Disabilities case, which we couldn't afford. And my dad said, you got to give it into God's hands. Psalms 25.3 says, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. So we put it into God's hand. We knew God would provide a way. I got back from a five-mile run a week before the season began, and there on the front page of the Detroit Free Press was a young man named Craig Stannard. He was born May 1975, same month as me, He was, same year. He was um, a track and cross-country runner, just as I was. And he had a learning disability, although it wasn't autism. And the Michigan High School Athletic Association told his family they wouldn't let him compete. My mom contacted his family. We got together. And the first words out of my mouth is, God is going to provide a way for Craig and me to compete on the track team. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And that week I was getting water baptized on Sunday. That Wednesday after I met with him, the Detroit Free Press did a second article and said there's two young men whose civil rights are being violated by the Michigan High School Athletic Association. And they had a picture of me and Craig on the front page of the Detroit Free Press, which is one of the biggest papers in Michigan. That Sunday, I got water baptized. And when I came out of the water, the pastor had an unusual look on his face. He said, I normally don't have a word for someone, but I saw something happen. I saw heaven open up when you came out of that water. And I saw Joel 225. I repaid the years of the, locust, the, the great locust, the young locust, the other locust, the locust swarm, great locust that was sent among you. And there was a locust army that ate away from you with a disability. God's going to repay it, and it's beginning right this minute. And I got home from being water baptized, at, and I was baptized at 9 a.m., and the answering machine was blinking red. When I pressed the button, up came the time of the phone call, and it was exactly 9 a.m., right when I went under the water. And it began this way. Hi, my name's Rick Glando. I'm a young lawyer. I just got my PhD from Boston College. I got my 
law degree from the University of Michigan. I want to take your case pro bono. All I need is your signature. So when God has an assignment, he has people with PhDs and law degrees who are armed and dangerous waiting for you. Took my case. We won. We ended up running the second fast time in the state of Michigan, and I got full ride to college, which is now Rochester University. And then from there, I got a scholarship to Oral Roberts University, where I got my Master of Divinity. And all along, I knew God called me to Oral Roberts University, but he used the scholarship, used the athletics to bring the dots together for what God had planned for me. And Philip Yancey says it best. Faith is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. At the time, I had the lawsuit. I didn't know if I was going to win. I didn't know what was going to happen. But that case ended up becoming the president-setting case, not only in Michigan, but in the United States. It went all the way to the Cincinnati courts and um, is enabled now young adults with disabilities and autism across the country to be able to compete past the age limit. There's a young guy named Anthony Storello. ESPN did a piece on him, and he was able to compete because of Gary Marison took up the case for him, and he used Sanderson versus the MHSAA. That's amazing, Ron. I mean, you know, and the, the vision that God put in your heart in terms of, to, you know, to do his will, of where God wanted you to move, go, to be, to who to be with and how to get towards the purpose they had for you and the purpose that he has for you in life and how God is using you uh, to be a blessing, to be, to lead his purpose, especially in our community, because I don't know, you know, you can talk about this more because you, you're in this area, this, you know, talk about faith, talking about God in our community, unfortunately, is not talk about enough as I believe, and I think you believe that it should yeah. be. I think, um, you know, the area of faith, unfortunately, is, you know, it's a challenge. I was reading, um, I, I think that's the reasons as to why there hasn't been enough engagement in terms of autism, special needs, and faith-based um, organizations or faith, or faith in general. Uh, because I was reading some statistics that, you know, that, for example, of low attendance of special needs families in churches across the country. You know, obviously, there's different churches that have, that, have, that have taken the lead in terms of creating programs for special needs families, including autism. I can, for example, speak from, for the church that I go to. They have a special needs uh, class for, you know, kids and adults up to, you know, at least to high school, young adults uh, for special needs. But unfortunately, it's not the same for every church. And another article, which, and I was doing, you know, based on my research, show, um, and, and this is very sad because it shows a lot of autistic, you know, people don't believe in God. The statistics, unfortunately, are, you know, are not that great. Uh, do you, I'm, and I'm going to ask you, you know, Ron, what do you think that has been missing in terms of faith-based organizations, the churches, in terms of being not simply an entity in regards to autism and special needs, in you know, in terms of the awareness, acceptance, and all of that, but in terms of being the leaders in, in society, 
to be the leaders in creating this environment to support special needs families? What do you think has been missing, if you can share from your perspective? So currently in the United States, only 5% of families who have a kid with autism attend church. And that's a stat given by Pastor Craig Johnson of um, the church in Houston. It's Joel Osteen's church. And the reason I think that is, is that a lot of times we welcome people with special needs in the church, but we don't include them in decision making. And I think that's where we need to move in the next phase is equipping people with disabilities and autism to be leaders in the church and also at the table of decision making. And until people with disabilities and autism feel like they're included in the decision making, it's going to hinder them in their faith walk and being able to do what God's called them to do. And I feel the church needs to have visible leadership with disabilities. Paul had some kind of eye condition. Galatians 6.11 says, see what large letters I use, I write in my own hand. That was a clue that there was something with his eye. I would have given you my own eye, he said in Galatians, um, for your ministry, and or you would have given me your own eye, meaning that there is some disability that the apostle Paul had, but in our disabilities, our weaknesses, God's strength is made perfect, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I think that's what's key is that involving the person with autism at the table of decision-making, of leadership, and they not only are welcome, but they feel a part of the ministry team. And, and, and that's important what you said, you know, and, and, and follow up to that, you know, a question, you know, Ron, how, what has been your experience in working with the churches in regards to these challenges and issues in integrating special needs families and the autism community? So I've found a lot of times that some good churches are really good. They have a buddy program, but it all begins with the leadership. There's a church, Woodside Church. They have the best special needs ministry I've ever seen. And Pastor Greg has a personality coined from God where he embraces people with disabilities, not only embraces them, but puts them in leadership positions. He has me come and speak on autism. He has me come and speak at the events. And he, the people in his leadership team who have disabilities, he gets them on all eight cylinders doing a full potential, being able to do what God's called them to do. And I think that's key. It begins with the leadership. If you have a leader who has a heart for people with disabilities, then the flock's going to follow and have that same vision. I think a lot of times I'll contact churches about speaking, and they'll say this, we don't have anyone with a disability of autism. And I say, if you don't have anyone with disability with autism, and 5% of people with, have autism, and you have at least 100 people, that means five people are missing from your congregation. That means five people aren't being connected to Christ for your ministry. And I think the first part is having people come with disabilities and autism and share on it. And when people become aware of autism, then they're going to be more welcoming, more inclusive in their approach to people with disabilities. I had one church actually send me an email back. We don't have anyone with disabilities. And I said, then you must not have access for people with disabilities to come to your church. You're like um, a church on a hill, hard to reach and hard for people to have access to. 
where you're supposed to be the light of the world. You're supposed to be the soul of the world. And you're supposed to be inclusive to everyone with autism. And I'm working right now on a message on mental health that I'm going to give to 500 people. And one of the things I share is that when the paralytic is healed in Mark chapter 2, verse 12, Jesus addresses him in verse 2, 1 through 12. Jesus addresses him in Mark's gospel, his child. And a lot of times people would be like, well, that's emphasizing the guy or making him an infant. But the reason Jesus says that is in Mark's gospel in chapter 10, he says, I tell you truth, and you will not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. So he's showing that the guy who is paralyzed has entered the kingdom of God and it, um, received this healing. But it's interesting, Luke takes a whole different approach, and I think that's the approach that we need. Jesus doesn't call the guy child, he calls him friend. And if you look at the gospel of Luke, the whole message of it is inclusion. The tax collector who was standing at a distance drew near to God when he humbled himself before God. The um, friends of Jesus and the women who followed him in Galilee and those who knew him, they stood at a distance at the cross. But those who are far away at the cross come near to God. And Jesus addresses them as friend to show that he's been included with everyone else, with the people who didn't have disabilities, with the people who had disabilities. And um, it says that the people with disabilities in Matthew 21, 12, that they came near and were healed. So it shows that the kingdom of God, healing isn't just physical, it's inclusion. And that's where I think we really need to hit hard is including people means that they have a place at the table and a voice at the table to be able to do ministry. And one of the first ministry jobs I had, I was an intern at a church for four years and they never let me be a full-time minister because a pastor had a rule that you had to be married to be in full-time ministry. And at the time with autism, it was hard to meet the right person. I was young. I didn't have the same social skills I have today after speaking live to 250,000 people, and I was not totally refined that I am today, today as a speaker. No, 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 yeah, that, and that's very impressive. I mean, and in the Bible, in the Word, you know, there's different stories that talk about inclusion. To go beyond an impediment or a disability to help your fellow, your fellow brother, your fellow sister, and do you know what what God's will is? I mean, and, and and there's great examples in the in the word. I mean, and it's very interesting in terms of of the struggles that you had to go through inside the ministry, inside in the, in faith, to be able to get to where you are today. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't given. You know, and obviously the important thing is to put in God's hands, and He guide you. To, and lead the way for you to 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 be that leader because we desperately need more leaders. I know, you know, especially in faith, you know, disability, autistic self-advocate leaders. I know there's different ones. Uh, for example, there's the there's the Catholic priest. I I think I, I think his last name is Matthew. Matthew Matthew Snyder. I interviewed yeah. him and did an article on him. Yeah, and also we have Pastor Lamar. Um, Hardwick and I present with him two times. Cleveland. Yeah. yeah, we need more of that. Yeah, it's only three. Yeah, and there's yeah. one other one who's a um, 
Greek Orthodox um, background, and um, I did an article on her a while back. Definitely. And I think we need to, and, and I think the churches and the faith-based organizations, you know, I, in regards of what your faith is, you know, Christian or your other, other faith, it is important to be, for the faith-based organizations to be the leaders in society towards creating and providing the tools and the supports uh, for, you know, for the special needs families, autism and autistic individuals. I mean, how much of a role do you think uh, should the, the faith-based organizations assume in terms of, of, of beyond awareness and acceptance for families? I think we need to have a lot of awareness and acceptance with autism. And what I'm moving into now is doing workshops or workshops. I mean, workshops on mental health workshops, and it's called Where Faith Can Be Found, Developing a Hope Complex in Christ. And it goes over all the different mental health issues goes over the seven foundation of mental health and how to develop those skills and develop hope when you have mental health issues. In the church, a lot of those things, mental health, you could go to church for a year and not hear anything on it, especially these big churches, and they need to be addressing the issues of where people are. One of the big fears that, that are creating mental health right now is lack of money with inflation, I call it the economic hitman. There's three areas that economic hitman is hitting our general public. Student loans. Average student, uh, a person owns now 35000 in student loans. Credit card debt, 10000 in credit card debts. And medical bills. Now our medical insurance doesn't even cover the things it used to cover. And then the final one is the housing crisis. If you bought a house today, you'd be paying 6000 more in property taxes than someone who bought the house 2017 just seven or six years ago. So we got all these crises going on with money creating fear, not even mentioning all the inflation we have right now. And the church isn't addressing these issues of mental health. They're not addressing these issues of autism and other disabilities and the struggles and um, complexity that people face in this chaotic world we live in right now. And not to mention, and I had to say it, politics. Yeah. The divisions, the different challenge issues going on in our country, in other parts of the world as well. I mean, we also have the migration you know, crisis. Yeah. There's a crisis, for, you know, as, as you mentioned, the economy, education. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a straight, you know, I'm going to say it like it is. Unfortunately, the education system right now is a, is a total mess. You know, yeah. they're, te they're teaching, especially kids, uh, about things that are completely wrong to teach, that they're yeah. taking away, like, you know, uh, you, know, the men you know, as I said, gender, you know, confusion, gender ideology, things that are confusing the kids and are destroying the life, you know, the livelihoods. And again, these are the things to me talk about. And the churches, and I may be stepping up a little bit from the out our autism topic, but this affects everything. Yeah. Churches need to be more active because, uh, for example, you know, in terms of, you know, I put it, there was an article, I mean, I may get a little bit more controversial here, but I had to say it. Yeah. There was an article, and this is an issue that we face in our community, about the different terms, okay, autistic or person with autism, people say, I'm, I can feel autistic and all of that. And there was an article, oh, I feel trans-autistic. 
It's like something, yeah. and that and that hurts. That hurts and that confuses and it impacts and it hurts the families that are impacted. They are going through the challenges of of, of living with autism because they're challenges, and as it is. So as you mentioned, you 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 you're spot on on the different challenges impacting and of course mental health. Very important that you mention mental health because we have a mental health crisis, yeah. mental health epidemic, and the the task the suicide rate. And you know I'm a big advocate in terms of mental health because I had gone through mental health. And mental health is not fun. And yeah. right now we have, I think, you know, in terms of young people, suicide is, if it is not the first, then it's the second cause of death among young people in this country, you know, in, in this country, in other parts of the world, which is a sad, sad yeah. reality. And it's even more in our special needs and autistic community. I mean, what when we talk about the importance of faith. Faith is everything, and we need. Yeah. To, and the faith-based organization, the churches, had to step up. Amen. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, you know, going along these lines, you know, Ron, because you know we're going to have different people from our community watching and listening to us that may not be a person of faith, may not believe in God, or don't believe in the church. I yeah. Mean, can you tell our community, especially our community, the importance of faith? So I think faith is important because when we have faith, we realize there's something more to life than what we can see. And with faith, even when things are going wrong, even when things are falling apart, we know that with faith in God, that this is not our world. We have a city that God's built. We have a place that God has for us. It says in John 14, 1 for 2, Down at your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. My Father's house, there are many rooms or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prayer place for you. And if I go to prayer place for you, I'll come back, take you to be with me. So you may also be where I am. So with faith, we know that what we see right now isn't all there is. It's not meaningless because meaning finds hope in God. And as we put our trust in God, he's going to direct our lives. Even if things start falling apart, even if politically we're at war and there's rumors of wars, in the midst of that, we can have peace knowing that Christ is in control and that he's coming back for us. Amen to that. And, and we need to do, we have to put trust in, you know, a lot of times it can get overwhelming. And trust yeah. me, all of us have been there, you and I included. But we have to put our trust in him because I'm telling you, and it's part of my story right now, and get a little bit more you know, personal. I can tell you without a doubt that without God, if it were for God saving me 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago, from the attempt of taking my own life, then I would not be here right now. I mean, suicide, mental health, it's no, it's, it's not fun. It's not games. It's, it's, it's a serious, serious situation. And God gave me the, you know, was there and he's, God stopped me from making a mistake that would have destroyed other, other lives, especially my dear, you know, my family. Uh, so we need faith today more than ever. And I think that we can definitely agree to that. And yes. Ron, I, 
Definitely. And Ron, I mean, your perspective, your experience have been amazing. I truly appreciate you sharing from your experience. Uh, a couple last questions I want to ask you, uh, not yes, going sir. to autism. You know, we talk about autism, right? Awareness, acceptance. We, we talk about it, right? Autism yeah. is everywhere today. Then more than it was when you were diagnosed in the early 80s and when I was diagnosed in the early 90s. What do you think, based on your experience and going around the world as an advocate, as leader, what do you think is still missing in regards to providing the tools and supports for human beings with autism and their families? So I can tell you exactly. We're never going to have gainful employment in the United States until we do one thing. And it's something that every other industrial nation has, and it's called universal health care. Until we have universal health care in the U.S., people with autism aren't going to be gainfully employed. And I can show statistically, in the United States, only 20% of people with autism are gainfully or are employed. Only 3% are gainfully employed. But in Europe, 60% of people with autism are gainfully employed. And what we've done, too, is we've come up with privatization. So jobs that were government jobs where people with autism could thrive in, we've made them privatized. And when you privatize something, you have a set price from a set commodity, you can cut other people's wages and make them work under the poverty line. And when you have universal health care with people with autism, they're health care bills are paid for. So they don't have to worry about having health care. There's a lot of people with autism who love to work, but they can't work because the money they make compared to the benefits they're getting from their job compared if they don't work, it's greater for them not to work. And if they worked and they got sick, they could lose everything they had. But if they didn't work and they got their benefits, they wouldn't lose anything. Until we have universal health care for people with autism, we're not going to see that high gainful employment rate. And um, that's the thing we got to change. And we say autism is a lifelong disability. Am I right? That's correct. And why don't you have lifelong benefits? So it should be as soon as you're diagnosed with autism, you don't have to worry about health care the rest of your life. And then people would hire you because the place say, you know, if I hire this guy, I don't have to pay for their health care. Why not hire him? And then right now, what we're seeing in the United States going on is that we have things like the H1B1, and they're outsourcing people with autism, and yet 42% of them are getting some kind of government assistance with their health care. Then why isn't the person with autism getting that um, benefit in place who is a citizen here who's worked hard and not have to worry about their health care? There's people with autism I've talked to who've had gainful employment, and then they had to quit, even though they had a law degree, because their health care bills with their insurance from where they work, having a lot of issues, as you mentioned, with autism, mental health, not only mental health, digestive issues, not only digestive issues, but health issues, because we have a weakened um, immune system, can cost more than we can make working. And a lot of people, I don't think, realize that I went to Canada and spoke um, last month, and People are sharing the same thing with me that in Canada, people with disabilities, they have the health care. They don't have to worry about it like they do in the U.S. Definitely. And there's the debate that's going on that, that, that unfortunately is not talked about enough in our communities in terms of the benefits, you know, what's, you know, the concern of autistic individual or other, you know, other disabilities in terms of, okay, what's going to happen with my benefits if I go to work? I'm going to lose them. Yeah. 
or not or not and that creates and that's a and that's a, uh, that's a challenge out there and that's that needs to be addressed and i think we as a community yeah have to come together strong in this issue because this is livelihood especially yeah. as, as an adult and making and to be able to ensure that we're create the right changes to tackle these issues and it also affects people who are not autistic in this way is people are afraid to leave their job because of their benefits but if you have universal health care it breaks up stagnant wages because you can say you know this job you're not paying me enough i'm going to go over here and you don't have to worry about your health insurance when you go over there right now if you quit your job got another job you got sick in between those 90 days to get it you could have bills that could cost you more than your house and you could go um i was talking to one doctor and he said this we're the only country in the world where someone can go bankrupt based on medical bills nowhere else in the free world could that ever happen same as an, as an education as well, you know, yeah. with a student loan crisis. I mean, yeah. it's insane. I mean, the areas of education and health, which are important, and you have to go bankrupt, which is very sad. I mean, that's 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 thing, that's thing that both, regardless of where you are in the political aisle, those are things that there's no excuse to not come in, you know, in better agreement. I mean, those are areas that are critical. Because, you know, no education, no health, especially health. There's nothing. Yeah. Well, my theory on the um, student loans is this. Let them declare bankruptcy, but don't make the government pay for it. All those companies that gave the money, you protect individuals who are U.S. citizens and everyday people who have, you protect up to twenty to $100,000 of money that's invested. But then all these people invested in it to make money and knew this was going to happen, and mm -hmm. those companies let them fall. And then use them as an example of you can lobby to get something in, but if it's not right and it defies other laws, when we came from the um from the other world to the new world, we landed on Plymouth Rock and we said there were no indentured servants. And the student loans they knew would make people indentured servants, so you couldn't declare bankruptcy. So declare that you can declare bankruptcy. Don't let the government bail those companies out. Let them fall and say, you know what? You signed a contract that was contrary to what our laws say, so we're going to let you fall. But the individuals whose 401k, who didn't invest in them, but their 401k was invested in, you protect them up to $100,000, and then you get rid of that whole problem. Because you don't want... Fannie Mae having money. What Biden wanted to do is he wanted to pay them all off, but then he knew the houses market would crash and then they'd buy up houses. And there's nothing that creates crime more than a breakdown of community. Nothing builds community more than people owning their own houses, being involved in their community. When you don't own something, you don't, you're not involved in it. So when people don't own houses, they're not involved in their community. I agree. And that's what we need to go back to those, those to solve those situations so we can create more thriving communities because, you know, our, our country needs our country yeah. needs it right now. Definitely. And, 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 and Ron, I mean, your perspective, <laughs> we can spend hours talking about the different issues that, you know, that, you know, that we talk about in this interview. And again, thank you so much for, part, you know, for having participated. I want to ask you if you have any final message that you want to say to people that are tuning in, that are watching this society. 
uh, this episode of, of my podcast? Yeah, I'll say this one. My favorite quote is by Charles Spurgeon, and it's this one. By perseverance, the snail made on the ark. So your kid could be as slow as a snail, but if he's going in the right direction, he's going to reach the goals, the plans God has for him. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. So God has a plan for you, your family, and as you trust your life to him, even if it seems slow, you're going to reach your goal as you trust in him and place your faith in him. Definitely, you have to put in trust, you know, trust in, in him. And that's the most important thing, and, and believe. And that's, the most, and that's what we need. And, and, your, and your story is one of perseverance. I mean, you know, I, I, I cannot say more than what I've said. And, and, and I'm truly honored to have you and share your story, Ron. Before we end, uh, do you have, you know, if people that are tuning in or watching this uh, po you know, podcast, do you have any social media websites in which they can reach to you? Yeah, so my website is spectruminclusion.com. My third book is Views from the Spectrum, A Window in Life and Faith for Your Neurodivergent Child. My first book, which was a top-selling Christian book on autism all the time, is A Parent Guide to Autism, Practical Advice, Biblical Wisdom. And then my second book is Thought, Choice, Action, Decision-Making that Releases a Power to Holy Spirit. Dr. Ron Rhodes from Dallas Theological wrote the foreword to it, and it's a Christian apologetic book showing why we can place our faith in God and how God can work in our lives and by leading of the Spirit, help us accomplish His goal on earth and advance the kingdom of God. Definitely. That's, that's amazing. And I'm, what I'm going to do for you, Ron, is that uh, once the, this episode is published, I'll put the links to your social media, to your website, uh, so that way people can reach to you and get, you know, get your books and learn more about the amazing, outstanding work uh, that you do for autism, for neurodiversity and mental health and many other causes. So I just, I'm going to do that so that way people can learn more about your work. Oh, thanks so much. Perfect. Well, Ron, it's been a honor. I'm honored privileged to have you. Uh, thank you so much to have shared your story. Um, feel more than welcome to come back. I have, I have a feeling that our interview was not completed because there's so much we need to talk about. Ron, thank you so much uh, for sharing your story here uh, in this episode of My Time with Tony Hernandez Pumarejo. And I wish you the very best and God bless you. God bless your family and keep going and keep making the difference for our community and our world. Thanks so much for having me on your show today. And um, God's blessing and favor be upon you and all the things your hand has to do and accomplish. Well, this is the end of another episode of My Time with Tony Hernandez Pumarejo. Tony hopes you liked it. If you'd like to learn more about the work Tony does, subscribe to him on his social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, which is now X and his LinkedIn page. You can also follow Tony on his website at TonyHernandezPumarejo.com. Also, if you are interested in getting a copy of his book, An Autism Unscripted Life, you can purchase it on Amazon or any book selling platform. You can also obtain a copy through his website. So until the next time you meet, thank you and have a wonderful day. Blessings. Blessings.